region across the nation. Pushing the brand across the land. Welcome to Region Review. Made by the fans for the fans. We want them to understand RPI. Uh, we don't want them to worry about it and dwell on it, but we also we want them to learn it so that they understand that our number one goal is to try to get in that 64 field. Because once you get in the 64 field, if you happen to get hot, you, you can do some damage and you're hot at the right time. If you don't get into the 64 field, I don't care how hot you get, you're gonna, you're gonna be in the backyard playing wiffle ball because you're not in the 64 field. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Ragin' Review Podcast. Nick, Jerry, Josh, here for your listening pleasure. Thanks for joining us tonight. Boys, there's a lot going on. Obviously, RPI is at the top of everybody's mind. We're coming down the stretch of the season. Uh, we want to make that playoff push like, uh, well, our postseason push like we always uh, kind of expect to do around here. And... We have an opportunity to win some games this weekend. Let's let's uh, let's not pussyfoot around about it. Uh, but it's a team that uh, kind of like Matt says, Matt Degg says, it's a supposed to game. Supposed to games are scary in baseball. Uh, in particular, I'll say that Friday night they're going to throw a guy. UTA is going to throw a guy that I think will give us some trouble. Uh, after doing a few digging, a little bit of digging, you find some numbers that are a little bit unsettling. But before we dig into baseball, uh, let's start with the draft. We had a big big week. Uh, for some some local guys, you know, guys like Matt Mitchell, uh, Max Mitchell, who was under recruited, uh, probably didn't get the the amount of attention he deserved out of high school going the fourth round to the Jets. We had a guy like Percy Butler, who this podcast has been super high on since we saw him practice for the very first time. Also going the fourth round, top into the fourth, fourth round. Jerry, I think it was uh, pick number 113 and Max went number 111. I mean, the amount of NFL talent that has been on this roster over the, the course of the Billy Napier era uh, is unprecedented. You have these guys that we know are going to represent us well in the NFL. We know they have opportunities to go on and be successful in the NFL. It's very exciting. It's an exciting time for the football program. It's an exciting time for, uh, you know, Percy, his family, Max Mitchell, his family. I just wanted to start with those guys because you can't really quantify how important it is to see local talent like that get on a national stage and be highly thought of in, in, I mean, look, fourth round pick is that's, that's pretty good. I mean, obviously we've seen some higher draft picks in the past, but look at Percy Butler. They were, you know, he was projected to be a six round pick. Next thing you know, he's in the fourth round. I think it's a good landing spot for Percy and we'll get into landing spots after that. But uh, curious what you guys thought about the draft. Yeah. Excited. Um, we used to be excited when guys get drafted because it didn't happen that often. And now it's kind of becoming an expectation that we have a couple guys every year that are, that are draft possibilities. I mean, you think back and, and most of our guys have success, right? You look back at Jake DeLome, you look back at, at Brandon Stokely, Ladarius guys who make it to the show and play on Sundays. They, they, they're doing some damage and that's only helping our brand. That's helping recruiting. Um, but yeah, even though Levi didn't get drafted, I think that's a good landing spot for him. And we'll talk about that in a second. But overall, very pleased and and really lived up to our expectations, especially Percy, which I believe was was more, 
you know, slated as a fifth round, late fifth, early sixth, making up to the fourth. That's huge. So uh, nothing but great things to say about it. Yeah, congratulations to both guys. You know, it's it's amazing because over the past, I don't know, seven years, we've had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten drafts, ten guys drafted since 2015. Um, up until that point, we really, really up until uh, probably 2010, uh, from around since Brandon Stokely to about 2010, we only had five guys for a whole decade. And since 2010, we have had 12, 13 guys go to the draft. Um, it just, it's an indication of how far this program has, has improved. Um, the perception of this program where younger, you know, players want to come play here and, and they know they have a chance to go to the next level. And let's not, let's not, you know, forget about a lot of these free agents who, or guys who came in here and played and, and signed on as, or went on to uh, go to these NFL rosters as unsigned free agents. So I'm just so happy to see these two guys, you know, uh, two picks apart on top of that, which was an added bonus, but it's, it's very complimentary when you have two guys like that in the fourth round and both of these guys, it's, it's much the, the jets and the commanders really needed to fill those voids. And when, when they decide to go after guys from, from Louisiana, it, it really means a lot, uh, not only to the program, but to the fans, just very happy for them. And, um, Again, just to see the perception grow as time goes on has been outstanding to see, and hopefully it continues <laughs> into the near future as well. And look, I, you, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Napier got us to where we are in the last four or five years. But man, credit Hudspeth for, for creating the excitement and the attention on the program when he did at the time. And even Bustle, we, we had some players during his tenure that may not have you know, made it made it all the way to playing on Sundays, but they started putting attention on the program. And now we're not just another G5 school with with a couple, maybe a stud every 10 years. They really set the table for us to be where we are today. So um, we got to mention those guys. Maybe HUD didn't end, you know, on the best terms with the program, but he, he really got us some attention and he, he started he started that trend for us. Glad you said it. Got to remember Big Rob Hunt. HUD recruit, uh, Kevin Dotson, HUD recruit. That's important. You know, Billy came in here and he had some bumps. A lot of it had to do with the reduction in scholarships, but we had big-time talent on this roster. It just needed to be developed properly. You bring in a Rob Sale, you bring in a Billy Napier, and you bring in that coaching staff that he was able able to, uh, in, you know, immediately put input and look at the results. You know, I want to say over the course of the last five years, maybe it's 2016, 2017, uh, we have more – NFL draft picks than anybody in the Sun Belt. That's a testament to a very healthy program. And I'll tell you this, guys, as soon as as excited as I am about the draft picks, the UDFAs and the the uh, mini camp invites are just as exciting. You know, you look at a guy like Chauncey Manack, incredible talent out of high school. He gets picked up by Georgia. It doesn't work out. I think he was a gray shirt at Georgia. It doesn't work out. Uh, you know, he had a bad reputation. They said that he wasn't a worker. They said that he didn't want to come and practice and, and put in the time. Uh, somehow or another, Billy convinces him to come to Louisiana. He transfers here. Uh, and he has said this himself, Billy has, that that basically Chauncey Manack, he transformed himself here. And to see a guy like that who obviously he has the talent, there's no question about that. 
to, to see a guy like him who kind of battled some injuries, you know, the most difficult in life uh, thing to do in life is to kind of transform the way you think. And it looked like Cha- Chauncey did that and he matured. And now he's getting, uh, well, he's getting, uh, he basically got a contract offer from uh, Green Bay, where in my view, it's a great landing spot. Because if you have a guy that has a, a history, like a Manac, who maybe is easily distracted, ain't much going on in Green Bay. I can tell you that. So if if focusing on football was Manak's only real hurdle to success, I think he's in a great spot where he's going to be a little bit insulated from distractions. You know, he's going to have a leader like, you know, a, a Hall of Fame quarterback in Aaron Rodgers who expects to win. They have a certain culture. They expect to win. They expect to win at a high level. He's probably going to experience playoff uh, football if he can make that roster in his first year. That's great for Chauncey. Moving on to the next, I think – I think Levi Lewis, man, you, you got to look at Levi, his journey. Uh, he, he sheds his red shirt early because of desperation in the Hudspeth era. After he does that, he comes in, he proves himself to Napier, and you guys know how it is. When you have a new coaching staff that comes in and takes charge, nobody has a leg up. Everybody's got to earn their spot. Levi does that. He goes on to lead our program into unprecedented success. He's got school records that we probably don't even know about. He's got he's he's rewritten the record books here. Then he goes on to get the opportunity with Seattle, a team that basically popularized the small mobile quarterback in the new era of football. In, in, you know, giving Russell Wilson the opportunity that he got. So this is a staff and a, and a culture and, a, and an organization that understands what it's like to win at a high level with a quarterback like Levi Lewis. I think that that's a huge leg up for Levi in that they've already they, they've already done this experiment. You know, he's the prototypical quarterback for them in the offense that Pete Carroll runs. So, man, can you imagine if Levi goes up there and and I mean, look, he's going to be competing with Drew Locke. And by any honestly, well, how long has Drew Locke been in the league? Three or four years now. I mean, he's basically a veteran. I think he's a career backup based on what he's put on his resume to this point. But you got to think that Levi might have a shot to make the roster and he may even compete to get some reps. You know, that is one hell of a story. Well, I think that's all Levi wants is the opportunity because the guy's never flashy. He's not, he's not the guy to be out there and, you know, flashing anything around, but he just, he goes, he does his job. He does a good job of it. Yes. And I mean, if you ask me who has what the best landing spot for any of our guys was, it's Levi hundred percent, because I don't think that there's another team Levi could have gone to that will give him the opportunity that he has in Seattle. The other UDFA I wanted to mention was Farad Gardner, who we know is uber talented, uh, maybe needs to put on a little bit of size to play in the NFL, but he's definitely got the athletic ability. And I mean, he's a, he's he's quick. He's agile. He's a, he's a thumper. Um, he's definitely smart enough to play the position. The thing I like about him landing in the with the commanders. OK, first of all, you got Percy, right? So they they are going to be able to room together. They're going to have some familiarity. You got Brian Mitchell up there to mentor those boys. That's a big deal. You know, I don't know how much that's been talked about, but that's a big deal. But as far as just for Rod's ability to succeed, they have a nice, young, uh, athletic core group of, of uh, linebackers. But their defensive line is disgusting. I mean, I, I, his name is escaping me, the, the kid from Ohio State. Uh, then you'll have the, the two twins from Mississippi State, the defensive lineman in the middle. Uh, they Those guys, the commanders have a ton of talent up front. 
I think that they're going to eat up blockers and they're going to let make the linebackers jobs. Uh, and then you, if you watch their games last year, they did that. They made the linebackers jobs a little bit easier and they can, you know, when runners try to get to the second level, those linebackers are not occupied by offensive linemen because their defensive line under Ron Rivera has been so good. So I think Farad has an excellent opportunity to succeed in Washington. And uh, and then the last, before move to Jerry, the last person that got an NFL opportunity was Big Sauce with the Steelers. Uh, I know it's a minicamp invite, but guys, careers have been made on minicamp invites. So I'm not, I'm not too worried about that. I think Sauce has the ability. If he has the desire, he can succeed in the NFL. If you're going to succeed in the NFL, uh, Pittsburgh is a pretty good place to start. So go ahead, Jerry. What is the best landing spot that you see from from our free agents or our draftees? Honestly, I think, like you said, Levi is probably your best fit because you really had a very similar type of style of play offensively from Russell Wilson. Now, I'm not saying Levi Lewis is Russell Wilson by any stretch, but at the same time, you have a guy that can scramble. You have a guy that really his strength in the passing game is on the rollout, which is what what Russell Wilson does. Um, He's mobile. And one thing about Levi that I don't think he gets enough credit for is he's a very studious guy. You know, what anything you ask of him, he's he's going to be the first one in the film room and the last one out. And, and that's that's very important, especially at this level. Um, I, I've had the chance to speak with a bunch of guys who've played in the league. And, you know, people would really be surprised at, you know, whether it's in the film room or at practice, how some people some of these players, even at this level, sometimes lack fundamentals. Um, and it's a crazy concept when you think about it. But, you know you have players out there who may not be X's and O's, but they can, they can kind of camouflage it with speed. They can camouflage it with physicality. And, you know, we always joke about the term see ball, get ball. There are players in the NFL who kind of can get away with that because of their, their just natural talent. But Levi's not like that. Um, Levi's going to have to use his brains, which he has. He's going to have to be very um, on top of learning the scheme. But the thing with him is, is, He's not flashy, but when you ask him to do something, whether it's on the field or off the field, he's going to do it. And that's what's really – I think that's a huge advantage for him, especially like you guys talked about. The, the, the It's a quarterback competition in Seattle. It, it really is. Now, I think for him, just getting the opportunity is huge. Now, Chauncey, I'm still shocked he didn't get drafted. I'm going to be honest with you. I was very surprised. I thought he would have gone – at least in the fifth or sixth round at a minimum. I think he's going to really fit in at Green Bay, mainly because Green Bay, to me, I think they kind of need an edger. I think he's perfect for that. So um, like you said, Josh, he's in Green Bay. So there's really – Green Bay is basically Lafayette North with a football team and snow, okay? Green Bay is the size of Lafayette. So, you know, it's not – it's obviously not – the same culture it's a different setting but it's still the same sort of town if you will so i, I look i'm i'm really curious to see how well he does uh as far as uh farad and um and big sauce look their natural talent got them to where they are as well so I, i'm just excited for these guys man i can't overemphasize that you know it's kind of like you it's kind of like a, the, the baby birds leaving the nest you know you you, you saw them really you know, from high school, you saw them develop and now you're seeing them go to the NFL and do their thing. So um, just proud of all of them. I really am. And, and I'm really hoping that each of them have a chance to to land on that 53 man roster. What I like to hear um, 
or I liked hearing, I should say, was Ron Rivera talked so highly of Percy because he said he will make an immediate impact. And if you were watching the 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 talking heads while the draft was going on, they focused on Percy being immediate special teams help. And Rivera said, no, he's he's going to be playing there. They have they play a lot of nickel packages. He'll play in there. Um, I think they they use three safeties most of the time. So he, I think, will have the immediate impact of all of our players and and get on the field the quickest. Um, and then you look at Max. Max is going to have to he's going to have to one probably put on a little bit of size and then he's going to have to compete. I think they they brought in a, a pro bowler um, Tomlinson from the from Detroit. And yes. and so so he's going to have to compete with with some horses for for the starting for a starting job or a place on that line. But um, I think after after he gets some experience, probably, you know, late into the first year or second season, maybe. Um, you'll see him more in the rotation there, but he's going to have a little bit more of a battle than I think Butler will. The good thing about Max is okay. if if he's good, he's cheap. And yeah, you can pay a pro bowler, but if you are as good as a, a high cost uh, asset of any kind, whether it be on the offensive line, a skill position, whatever, if you are as good or it's close and you're cheap and you're on a rookie deal, you're going to have the leg up for two or three years. So I'm, I'm excited about Max. I think he needs to adjust to the pro game, and I'm not sure exactly where they're going to play him yet. I think there was talk about moving him to guard. Great, whatever. I think Max is, is going to be successful. Now, I know that there's some concern that he's going to the Jets. It's not a well-run organization. I understand that. But I will say this. The last two drafts, and when they hired their new AD, their, uh, AD, their new uh, general manager, I can't remember his name, but when they replaced the last guy, this, these last two drafts, they have killed it. And if you look at the rest of that draft, it's really good for the Jets. So, look, I, I think Max, the sky is the limited Max uh, for, uh, in New York for Max as long as they continue to make these very good um, picks and these roster moves. And I'm not sure if Zach Wilson can play. But we're going to find out soon, and he's going to be protected for the first time in his career. Exactly. So that, and that's what I was going to say. He'll be protected. At least we yeah. know that. Yeah, so that, that'll that be something to, to look out for. As far as Percy, look, you knew, you guys know how I feel about Percy. I love Percy. Uh, you know, Matt made the comment on the roundtable that when nobody thought that he would go higher than the sixth round. I did. And and look, you can go, go check the tapes. I always like to say that. Go check the tapes. Your boy here was the only one saying that literally I think Percy's a late third. That's what I said. If you go back and look, I just love Percy. I thought he was a difference maker. I thought that he was a special teams guy first. Uh, in the NFL, I thought... Middle of his junior year, he was a special teams guy first. I think this past year, he showed that he is versatile. And when he ran that four, that, the 40-yard dash that he ran at Pro Day, look, dude, that, that right there, that shows he can play nickel, he can play safety, and he can cover for you. So it shows that he can do a lot of things to help a team. And when you're young and you're cheap like that, the more things you can do to help a defense, the easier it is it's going to be for you to stick on a roster. So I'm, I'm thrilled for Percy. But look at the defensive schemes. Look at what Dennis Allen runs with the Saints. Look at the different packages. You kind of have to be a prototypical defensive back and play different sure. positions to even have a shot. I mean, and to Nick's that's point why, about uh, about I mean, Washington playing the multi-safety look. That's what Napier. Did. Yeah. So it's kind of tailor-made for him, you know. And not to mention, like you talked about his speed. You know, one thing about Percy, he's not the biggest guy, right? The prototypical safety back in the day, you had a lot of height. You were kind of like an Orlando Thomas, right? You don't need that in this day and age. All you need is a little bit of physicality and speed, and I think Percy has both. Uh, back to Max Mitchell real quick. I want to make one comment before we move on. The thing about Max Mitchell is, like you said, you have a pro bowler coming in. What better, even if it's the Jets, what better way to learn 
for at least a year or two than behind a pro bowler. It doesn't matter if it's for the Jets or whoever. Like you're learning behind somebody that it's a good point. Has 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 mastered has mastered the craft on the offensive line. And the thing about Max is, you know, he's he's another one. He's a listener. He's a, he's studious. He's gonna he's gonna be one of those guys that's gonna sit back and say, "Teach me. I want to learn." And so. I mean, if there's any place to do it, it, it is with the Jets. Obviously, they're a team that's still kind of developing and growing, but why not grow with them like a Max, with a Max Mitchell? Um, and, and I remember I actually went to the Jets fan forum, or it was either Twitter or a fan forum I went to, and that's kind of what they said. He'd be a perfect backup. And look, let's be honest, in the NFL, the Saints went through it. The Saints have gone through it numerous times. How many, how many offensive linemen get hurt per year, right? I mean, he's going to have to be ready in week one just in case something like that happens because that happens. He's an injury away. No way often. Happens on the way too line. often. Yeah, no doubt. Absolutely. So, no, I think Max, look, it's again, like you said, it's the Jets. But if you got a pro bowler coming in and you can learn behind him, I, I don't see how I, I would think he should be ready, not just this year or not just next year, but this year as well. And, and, and he will get some reps. I mean, like, there's no question he will get some reps. So, no, I mean, they, they, they both of those guys definitely have a legitimate chance of not only playing, but kind of contributing in a big way early on. I agree. Uh, like I said, I think Max, I think Max is going to have a long career if he wants to. Um, so also, I want to say congrats to Percy on his, his, uh, his first baby daughter. Super cool experience for him. Like what days a perfect after he, weekend, man. He, he got drafted. You know, he's got a, a career in front of him. He got a new daughter, a new family. So that's cool for him. Uh, got to say congratulations to Percy on that. And, you know, Percy's always been a good supporter or a big supporter of the podcast. So uh, that's not why we love him, uh, but it, it helps to like him. I mean, it, come on. Of course, if he's going to support us, I, I'm always going to ride for the guys that support us. So uh, I'm glad. I, I'm glad for all these guys having opportunities in the NFL. They deserve it. I don't think a single person didn't deserve where they're at right now. So I think Chauncey's going to be successful once he gets an opportunity to get on the field and get some playing time. You guys know every single time he got an opportunity, he made it. Uh, he made a count he, and he shined and he made, you know, the funny thing about Chauncey is, is like every single time that you see a big time defensive moment over the course of the last three years, where whether it be the Sunball championship, whether it be against App State, whether I mean, I mean, so many opportunities, a Liberty on the road. It was always Chauncey making it. He's always involved. Play. It yeah. was always him. And, and, and again, I go back to it. He's kind of like with Peanut Tillman back in the day when we were losing. You look at someone like a Chauncey Manak on defense and you see the type of plays he makes, not not the fact that he makes the play, but how he does it. And, and sometimes I'll catch myself and I'll ask, I'm like, how did we how did we get him? Yeah. You know, like how, how he could he really again, I know he's he originally was at Georgia. I believe he was at Georgia, but I, I, that's that's SEC. That's SEC plays he was making. That's P5 plays. And sometimes I just look back. I'm like, we sometimes you just have to sit back and say, man, we, we were really lucky to well, get this guy. Real a talent like that that can take over a game. I mean, how many times did he take over a game? It, it happened all the time. So anyway, congratulations to all those guys. Uh, we'll be watching and following your careers, and we hope nothing for the best. Uh, let's move to basketball. Some news this week. Uh, obviously, news that we were able to break after we confirmed it with multiple people at multiple levels. Bob Marlin's top assistant. Brock Morris moving on to Ole Miss, uh, as is Theo Akuba, former Cajun big man. So... That obviously set off a couple of different fireworks throughout the fan base. 
uh, Brock Morris reached out to us. You guys remember that we had a little bit of a, a kerfuffle with the Bob Marlin interview via Brock Morris. And, uh, you know, we got sideways with Brock. And I, I think that, uh, well, first of all, I want to commend him for reaching out to us. That was really cool of him. He didn't have to do that. Uh, but it, I, I think maybe it, it, it might speak to um, how much he really cares about this place. Because if he wanted to make an impression on on people that would support him or not support him. And if he thinks it matters, he did a good job. He, he recruited us. I'm, I made a comment when we got off the phone. I said, he just recruited the hell out of us because uh, he seemed genuine. Uh, it was fun talking to Brock and I appreciate him reaching out. Uh, but, you know, obviously we have some history. It was good of him to reach out and kind of make that a, make amends on the way out. Uh, but the fact of the matter is he's moving on to Ole Miss. It's a career move. He's going to make some more money. He's going to get some more prestige in his career. So good, good luck to him. Uh, but back at home, our basketball program continues to take on water. No matter how you look at this, this is not the plan that we were sold. We went to pretty long lengths to try to tell people who would listen. We got to get the messaging on this right. It's so important to get the messaging on this right. And we've done nothing but get the messaging on this wrong. Uh, Brock Morris is just the latest casualty. What do you guys think about the move? Obviously, you know, from on a personal level, you're happy for a guy like that to find some success. But at the same time, you know, he's leaving a huge void in the coaching staff here uh, at, at Louisiana basketball. Where do we go from here? What do you guys see as the next step for Bob? <laughs> does he does he, you know, suck up his pride and call Brad Boyd? <laughs> I know that's a hot topic. Nope. I don't really see that he has that many options. Yeah, I mean it's it's a it's a tough situation for for Marlon. Uh, I mean, no doubt Brock was the top assistant. I mean, you could put him whatever on the depth chart you want, but he was the guy. Brock, you know, again, like you, I commend him for for calling and speaking to us. The one thing that really stuck with me was how many times during that conversation he said, "I love Lafayette. I love Lafayette. I love the university. I love being here." Um, so it's obvious to me that he doesn't want Ole Miss to be his last stop. I think it's smart career move if he's thinking the way I'm thinking in, in which if, if this is Marlon's last year, which it probably will be, it would be a lot easier for Dr. Maggard to make a hire outside of the program with somebody with ties to the program than making a hire from an assistant internally and then – you have some fans that are that are excited about it and some are like, oh, well, we're just going to we're just going to hire from within. We can't do better. Right. Um, so I think uh, I think it's a smart move on his part. And, and he's going to be under Kermit Davis, which came from Middle Tennessee, which was a Sunbelt coach back in the day when when we were competing against them on the on the hardwood. So um, congratulations to him. Happy for him. And I I would be surprised if this is the last that we hear of him here at UL. Nailed it. And it also insulates him from the whole USLing the higher. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that it's it really is a win-win if you if you don't get too bitter and caught in the moment. Jerry, before you make your comments about Bob Marlin's uh, path forward, what was what stuck out to you about the phone call last night? Uh obviously we weren't expecting that and it turned out to be a really positive thing for all involved. Was there something that stuck out to you in particular? Well, first of all, he didn't have to call. That's what that's the main thing. I mean, you have an assistant, your top assistant going to an SEC school. He didn't have to call. He didn't have to reach out to a fan podcast. Not not to diminish what we do, but I mean, you didn't have to especially, do that. Especially on the day that you're it's just announced like broke news. I'm leaving. And he calls us of all people. Yeah, which which you look and, and I, I want to take the time to say 
to, to Coach Morris, thanks, man, for doing that. That was really nice of him to do that. It was really nice to clear the air and kind of really get to know him, you know, more. Um, I felt like I got to know him a little bit more on that on that call and really appreciate him, you know, you, the kind words he gave to us. And take away all of that, we just lost our top assistant to, to an SEC school. So, like you said, Josh, we're stuck back at home, right? Um, back to square one in many ways. But, no, for, for Brock to do that, I mean, it really is commendable. I want to thank him for doing that. It really was nice of him to do that, and and I I wish him well. Um, I hope he's uh, I hope he's able to in, you know continue to increase his his stature as a, as a D one coach. Um, and I, I'm willing to bet he will learn a lot under a Kermit Davis, especially when you're you know you're recruiting against uh, other top-notch competition you know you're no longer you know nothing to take away from us but you're no longer just recruiting against you know i don't know a, a mid-major like 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 a louisiana tech or a tulane now you're going up against the lsu's the alabama's you might go try to recruit against a kentucky you know so uh he's definitely got his he's definitely got his challenges coming up but i think he's he's the type of coach that's willing to take it head on i mean he did he did start at university of alabama so He's got some experience there, but um, no, I mean, I, I really, I really think he, he's going to do well up there. He is the perfect fit for them. I think he's an up and coming coach in this, in this industry. And, and I hope, um, I hope he, he can succeed. You know, one thing that we were able to talk to him about, and it, it's starting to feel like maybe we're getting some resolution on this question. Pretty much everybody that's been associated with the program that we've been able to talk to after there were some rumors about maybe Jordan Brown kind of having the itch to maybe go pro, it seems like the majority of folks that are, you know, reputable think that Jordan Brown's staying. And one thing that stuck, stuck out to me was that Brock said that he really likes playing for Coach Marlin, Coach Marlin and he really likes Lafayette. Uh, I, am, I am inclined to believe that. And I really think that a guy like Jordan Brown really likes the fact that this is his team. Without question, this team going into the next season, this is his team. I think that Jordan Brown sets up to be the leader of a team that he thinks that he can propel to success. Uh, do you guys think that that's a valid uh, a reason to stay? Do you think that he ultimately stays? What do you see in the future for that? Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. Um, I do think that has a lot to do with his decision. I don't know, man. It with 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 all the NIL and, and the transferring and, and all this stuff going on, Theo going to Ole Miss, everybody has their decision for doing what they do. I would hope that he likes Lafayette. He likes being a, a raging Cajun and Marlon seems like he's a player's coach maybe. And, and, and that could be part of play into part of the reason why he wants to play with, with Marlon specifically. So, um, yeah, he's got, like you said, this is going to be his team next year. I'm going to pull for the guy. Again, it puts us in a weird place because we want to pull for, for guys like him. But on the other hand, it's what happens if they do make the NCAA tournament this year. Again, it just puts us in this weird, this weird place. Well, I mean, I just think with, with Jordan Brown, I mean, if he leaves, who else do we have left? Uh, that, that's the scary thing. He's kind of like the last line of defense to have a promising roster next year. You know, we can talk about how we got these, oh, we got this point guard, we got this guy coming in, that guy coming in. At the end of the day, they have no experience at this level. So, you know, you want that veteran talent to help you because you need a Jordan Brown to be able to kind of mold these younger guys. doesn't matter if they're freshmen or whatever. If you have no experience, does it really matter at the end of the day? And can you compete? I, I don't know. So, I mean, 
for our sake, I hope he comes back. I, I don't know. I mean, he's transferred enough times to where, I mean, he can't really go anywhere else outside of maybe wanting to go make some money, you know, so going play going pro. But um, if he does decide to stay, I mean, like you said, this is, I mean, by default, this is his team. I mean, there's, there's really nobody else. I mean, there's other talent around him, but he is the guy. So, um, you know, if it's true that he loves Lafayette, he loves the culture, he loves to play for Coach Marlin. I mean, look, it would be very beneficial of him to play. The fact that this is his team, it is his moment to shine. So if he's willing to stay a little bit longer, that would be really nice and really helpful. But in this day and age, you just never know. Um, I mean, you've seen the, the guys that, you know, that you would least expect to go in any sport, but the NIL and the transfer portal, they up and go. So basketball's already lost a bunch of guys. We lost, we just lost our top assistant the other day. You know, I know some people may think I'm, I'm being pessimistic here, but that's, that's concerning. And that's a little scary. So I think now with, with Jordan, as long as, as long as he has the mindset of, I want to set the tone and I want to be the leader and he steps up in that role. I mean, that that's a golden opportunity for him. I would think, I mean, wouldn't you guys think so? You know, yeah, I think so. And the other thing I would say about that is that, you know, everything you hear from within the program is that his mom and dad, you know, obviously, especially Dion, is very, very uh, educationally based. They they really value education. So that that gives me hope. Not that he can't transfer and get a, you know finish his degree somewhere else, but you got to remember if he transfers again, he has to sit out. So those two things combined help me kind of have some peace about him staying. Also, listen, Jordan Brown's a good player. I don't know if Jordan Brown's an NBA talent. I think that if he's going to get paid to play the game, it's probably going to be overseas. Uh, but I, I think that, you know, like I said, I think that those things lend itself to him staying, which gives me some some peace about it. And if you have Jordan Brown at the center of the team, regardless of all the stuff that's going on, uh, I think you can win the league. I think you can at least compete to win the league. You know, it's, it's not a good league. So anyway, uh, that's the last thing I'll say about basketball. You guys can chime in as we go, but I think I think baseball is kind of where the big news is going forward. I would still like to wrap up App State a little bit. I know there were some comments made in the roundtable. Uh, I wasn't able to comment on what I thought this weekend, but I'll, I'll put it very directly and I'll ask the question. Yeah, we won the series. And you never want to downplay winning a, a series, especially on the road, especially this year with a team that doesn't necessarily play its best on the road. But the question that I would ask to you guys is, do you think we played well Friday to Sunday? Now, I know we had our moments on Friday, and I know we had our moments on Saturday. But I'm going to give you my opinion real quick, and then I'll, let you, I'll, I'll open it up to you guys. Friday, uh, we still made some mistakes on the base paths. The, the week before at Georgia State, we've already covered this, we felt like we took more calculated risk. It wasn't just kind of being aggressive for the sake of being aggressive. That's how it felt. And I think we got a little bit of vindication when Matt asked Deggs the, uh, the question. He basically agreed. At App State, I'm not going to say that we went nuclear uh, and, and started having these terrible innings where we were just running through stop signs and we, we weren't paying attention on the base pass. I'm not going to say that. But I still thought we made our share of mistakes on Friday. Saturday, okay, it was clear that Jacob didn't have his best stuff. We left him in there. He had his worst career outing as a collegiate pitcher. We needed six errors to win the game. And, yes, we won 12-7, to and, yes, we hit the baseball. I'm not taking that away from the offense. You guys know how I feel about this offense. I think we can win with this lineup. But we didn't play spot-free baseball. In fact, again, we needed six errors from App State 
to help us win that game and extend innings where there were a couple of big innings that were aided by two, three error innings. So I, I think about that. Uh, Sunday, you come out and I don't, you know, Dex said he didn't think we were flat on Sunday. Um, I, maybe not, but there was certainly something different. There wasn't that level of intensity that we had seen on Friday and Saturday. I thought that App State's starter was a major problem for our offense. Maybe he was just a, a, a good matchup against our offense. I mean, you can tell by how aggressive we were being at certain counts that we were trying to do too much, in my view. So whether it be our approach changed on Sunday, whether it be App State really took advantage of an aggressive lineup, maybe it was a good matchup for those guys. Maybe the guy just went out and had a career start. I don't know. But they were extremely effective. We had opportunities to tie the game or get back into the game later in the you know six, seven, eight innings. We did not take advantage of those. Uh, then you had Bobby hit a home run in the, in the top of the ninth and bat flip when we were down by four runs. Uh, that pissed me off. Obviously, who would, who would it not piss off? You got to be kidding me. Um, Deggs came on the post game and made a comment about things that he wasn't happy about in that game. I think that's what he was talking about. Uh, but again, I would ask you guys, do you think we played well? And obviously, I just gave you my synopsis. I don't think we played terribly. I mean, when you when you when you're 10 to 11 to 12 to up to 14 to whatever it was game change. Yeah. It, I mean, you're going to you're going to see that. I think you're going to you're going to make stupid mistakes, stupid minute, stupid mental errors. It comes with kind of just just going through the motions at that point. I you definitely felt it turn on Saturday. I felt like that was the beginning of the downturn through Sunday because, like you said, didn't have a good starting pitching performance. I don't did he if he got out the third, it may be like three and a third, uh, three and a third innings he might have pitched, uh, but he didn't do well. Thank goodness for Austin, he came in and 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 shut the door. But it just—he's looked in two plus years, and we needed that, man. We need a—we need a lefty out of the pen like that. Yeah, absolutely. So that was really good to see. Um, but he had to come shut the door because let's say he doesn't, and that state keeps hitting. Like, what what happens after that point if he doesn't shut the door on him? But anyway, we didn't win the game. But I felt like it took a little bit of a shift at that point where Sunday was just. I mean, I think that the stat I read last week was we gave up five RBI singles and then score, they scored three more runs via walk and hit by pitch. Our bullpen let us down on top of us not being able to hit. So when you put those two things together, it's not going to be a good Sunday. And I, I don't know if they're just not getting up. I'm not going to say that they showed up lackadaisical in the game but I don't know if once you go up two games to nothing against a team like App State that you're supposed to beat if you're just taking it for granted that you're going to go in and you're going to sweep I know I'm not going in but I don't I don't know how they respond to that they did a good job the two weeks before but look in in any case it is hard to sweep period on the road at home it is always hard to sweep a team we should have swept them I think that was the one opportunity we have the rest of the season or, or until we get to Texas State we can't drop another game, especially this weekend against UTA. There's no way we can do that. But if we swing the bat like we did on Sunday against their starter Friday night, it's going to be a long night. It's going to be a long night for us. So we got to figure that out real quick. Also, I want to mention too, Nick, to, to add to what you just said about that, that Saturday game, like you said about the momentum shifting, you were up seven to one in the second inning. I mean, you could have blown the doors open then. And all of a sudden it's seven to six, like within what, an inning and a half? I mean, right then and there. And the thing is, you're on the road. You're at their place. They're playing in an environment that they're comfortable with, that they're familiar with. So 
you can tell that they started to kind of get a little more confident against our pitching because let's be honest, Friday was domination. I mean, look, in spite of that, the first two days, fr- uh, Friday and Saturday, we hit we had 14 hits one day, 18 hits on the other. 32 hits in two games, okay? So the bats, regardless of the pitching, the bats won you that game. But here's another fun fact for you. Um, I looked it up on the schedule. Anytime the Cajuns score more than five runs, they're undefeated. We scored four on Sunday. You walk three. You, you walk three, and you hit a hit. You got a hit by pitch. Three runs in. You just you just you gave them three runs. You just can't do that. You just can't do that. And the thing that was kind of disappointing was, look, Jeff Wilson on the mound on Sunday. He's been kind of he's sort of been the most consistent, dependable weekend starter we've had since the beginning of the season. And he didn't have his best outing. It was probably his worst outing since Troy. So. You know, then then you put you, you go put a bunch of guys you 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 go through your bullpen and they they don't pitch well, and that's the thing that we've kind of struggled with all season. Like we talk about how great AP pitched on on Saturday, but there's a little bit of volatility with our bullpen. You just don't know what you're going to get sometimes. And right now, moving forward, you're not playing the best hitting teams up until Texas State. You've got five games where you can really the bullpen can really come in and get some experience and improve and build some confidence. But this is a time of the year that the bullpen should not be collapsing. They should not be walking in batters and walking in runs and hit by pitches. They, this is not a good time to do that. And, and look, Josh, you were mentioning about Deggs, Deggs's frustration at the end of Sunday. He was just frustrated because of the way we played as a whole. I mean, he even said at the top, he's like, look, this is not – this, you, you just can't show up after winning the first two days and expect to win. That's not that's not how we play. That's not our expectation. And what I saw is not not raging Cajun baseball. That's not at least the baseball he expects out of him. So I, I hope really what I hope for and, and this kind of a cliche thing is I hope this game was a lesson that you can't really take get teams for granted, especially now this time of year, because it's like you said. These next five games, they are so-called supposed to games. You're supposed to play well. You're supposed to win. You're supposed to take care of business. And we talk about RPI. These next five games, if you slip up even one game, look, we dropped 10 spots against App State after losing on Sunday. So these next five games, I hope they learn from that and say, okay, we we messed up there, but we're not going to do it again. Because honestly, guys, we can't afford to. Up until Texas State, these next five games, we cannot afford to drop another game. We already have projected uh, spots in regionals right now. You know, the pundits are starting to talk about us. And so I hope the players can just ignore that, ignore the clippings. Let us do the talking about that. Go take care of business starting starting Friday night against UTA. Get a sweep. Build some confidence. Go to Rice. Go two for two. Build some confidence into San Marcos against a showdown against Texas State. Yeah, the thing about supposed to games in baseball is that there is no such thing as a supposed to game in baseball. I mean, you can run into a hot arm. You can run into a guy having a career night. You can run into a slump from your lineup. There's a million things. I mean, look, one error can change the course of a game. So that's the whole supposed to thing. And I understood what Deggs was saying, and he's correct. But you never want to be playing for behind. You never want to be swimming upstream. That's a tough thing to do in this game. And football is different. And basketball is different. You can get hot and go, you know, you can go on a streak and get some momentum. That's, that kind of stuff changes with every pitch in baseball. So many quirky things can happen. What's ironic, Josh, is De- I've heard Deg say exactly that. Like he talked to – he went to, uh, I was at the Diamond Club luncheon the other day, and he mentioned about exactly that. He said these are supposed to games, but – and to your point – Baseball is a different breed. 
it's not like football where you can just dominate another team because you're bigger and more stronger and physical and faster than them, right? In baseball, it's completely different. It's every little thing, every little minute detail can that that gets thrown off, right? If you're not hitting, if if your hitting goes into a slump, you make one error. If the pitcher's on, I mean, we the the Sunday guy against App State, I mean, he looked guy looked like an all conference against us. It probably pitched the game of of, his, of the season for him, you know. I mean, and like you said, UTA's got a good Friday night guy. Can't ah, gotta 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 mind your p's and q's and get ready, man. Can't can't slip up. Well, it's like I always like to say, everybody's got a guy, and you know, apparently App State's guy pitches on Sunday. You know, I don't know. He he was just a great matchup for us, I guess. But looking ahead to UTA, I mean, look if we if we don't go out with the mindset that we have to match their intensity on a Friday night and treat it like a regular Friday night game. I don't care if we're at home. We got to go match their intensity because their guy on Friday night can pitch. And if they had, look, what what can make their season better than wrecking ours, right? They, they beat Troy two out of three. They were competitive against Coastal Carolina, who might be the hottest team in the Sun Belt right now. They were competitive against uh, Texas State two out of three games, who is the, the cream of the crop right now in the league. There's a lot of one-run games in conference over there. UTA, look, they're at 260 RPI. In fact, we're going to do a league uh, update here in a minute, but they're somewhere around 260 the last time I looked. And you can't, you, we're going to win games at home, and our RPI is still going to suffer unless our opponent's opponents just have an absolute weekend, and maybe not. But we cannot come out flat, not Friday, not Saturday, not Sunday. Cannot happen. We can't take a, an inning off. We can't take a pitch off. We have to start treating these series like like postseason series. You know, you, you heard Jay kind of say it if you've been listening to him in the media this week. Th- there's no room for error. There's no room. We can either play ourselves way out of the uh, of the opportunity to get an at-large bid, or we can play ourselves right into it. There's still a lot to play for. There's still a lot of games left. But we can see our destiny right in front of us, and our destiny is winning. And, and it sounds easy. But it's not. You got, you got to go out and win the games. And UTA is a bad team. Let's be honest. If you look at what they put together this year on their resume, they're a bad team. They can't pitch. They got a few guys on the front end, maybe two or three guys that can be reliable. But outside of that, their bullpen is awful. You know, they're one of the, I think they're the worst offensive team in the Sun Belt over the course of maybe the last 12 games. So they're bad. I think they're scoring two or three runs a game in conference we've got to capitalize on that. And the problem about that is, is that the matchup doesn't really favor us just because our issue, our kryptonite has been, has been giving free bases and being too generous and, and generous and having uh, our pitching staff up one day and down one day. Inconsistency in the bullpen, especially. And honestly, coming off of this past weekend against App State, who really wasn't setting the world on fire offensively, our starting pitching was not good. Tally was okay on Friday, but Schultz and Jeff looked terrible for, you know, large stretches, stretches of their starts. You know, doesn't really strike a lot of confidence in the hearts of fans. Now, we're back at the Teague. We're back off. The, we're off the road. We're going to get some idea of normalcy back. So maybe that helps, and maybe that's a good reset. But UTA is not going to come over here and just lay down. Like, we got to go out and win the games. Now, look. You brought up Troy. They l- luckily for them, they beat Troy in Arlington. They won two out of three. Sure, but Troy is also smoking hot right now. But here's the twist: UTA is fourteen and thirty-one. They're twelve and twelve at home. They're two and eighteen on the road with their last win, I believe, April sixth on the road. So they're not a good road team, is what I'm saying. So hopefully, 
that trend continues into the weekend and the Cajuns being back home could help us out a little bit in the home crowd. And look, I'm, I'm just going to call, call out Cajun nation right now. We're getting hot. We're, we're outside of last Sunday. We're starting to get hot at the right time. We're finally in talks of postseason play. We need Cajun nation packing the Teague, bringing the energy this weekend. Need it. That's a big advantage over a team that's two and 18 all season on the road. We, we play much better at home in front of our yeah. fans. That we do. So I'm confident going into the weekend that we're, I mean, they're a terrible road team. We're a great home team. I Hopefully we put it all together. The one thing that scares me, and we've been great on Friday night since Troy. The one thing that scares me is a Friday night guy. He does not walk a lot of batters. And he strikes out a lot of batters. He's got more strikeouts than Bonds does. And Bonds, I think he has 58 strikeouts. Bonds has somewhere around 50. So he strikes out guys. If we're not patient at the plate, and if we're we're swinging on top of pitches like we did on Sunday, it's going to be a long night. Now, if we're patient, he's he's hit nine batters this season. So he he'll you know pitch inside and he'll he'll hit a guy every now and again. If we're just patient and and we're we're smart at the plate, I think we have a much better chance of of taking game one and then hopefully sweeping the series. Uh because like you said, the the other two starting pitchers, the bullpen doesn't impress me, but neither did their Sunday guy at App State and he stuck it up our butt. So we can't, like you said, Jerry, we can't afford to drop a game this weekend, but we've got to get off to a good start on Friday night. And hopefully we continue um, that trend because if, if not, you know, it could be disastrous RPI wise for us. I like Tally on Friday. Uh, the fact that he hasn't had to throw a lot of stress pitches lately makes me feel better about Friday. And like you guys said, I think the stadium is going to be electric. It feels like we've been on the road for a month. So I think our fans will be ready for it. Friday night feels like uh, I think the weather's going to be great. It feels like one of those nights where, you know, like we're going to bring the energy. I, I, it almost feels it's a foregone conclusion that it's going to be live and, and, and hopping. So that's going to be good. It's always an advantage for us. And like Nick said, I mean, shit, we might be a top 15 team at home this year. We, we play really great baseball at the Teague, which is good. That's what you want to do. You want to you want to kick ass at home and you want to win. Five, you want to go 500 on the road. That's the goal. So uh, UTA, you know, uh, the people are going to look at that and they're going to scoff at their record. But I'm telling you, we have work to do this weekend. I did mention the league update and I want to give a league update because, look, we're right on the cusp of postseason play. People are jockeying for position. What's incredible is that we're going to go to Montgomery with probably four or five uh, Sunbelt Conference teams with legitimate opportunities for at-larges or to play their way into the field of 64, which is unbelievable. Uh, we haven't been a league number five uh, RPI in a long time. We're right there. We haven't had this amount. We haven't had, was it, seven? Let's see, one, two, three. Yes, seven top RPI 100 teams in the league. I can't remember the last time that happened. I mean, this is like back in the early 2000s while, while this was going on. Uh, so, And that was before Coastal joined the league. So, the league is very healthy, and I'm going to give a quick update, and then we can keep rolling. Texas State still nationally ranked. They're 35 and 11, eight and two in their last ten. Very important to the committee. Uh, 
their RPI rank is still 42. You got Georgia Southern still with a gaudy RPI rank at seven. They're six and four in their last 10, but still being able to maintain because of that great schedule that they've played overall 29 and 15. They're still a Q1 school. You know, I mean, that's still a Q1, two Q1 wins for this program. And then obviously Louisiana 14 and seven in conference. We've got a 25 and 17 overall record. RPI sits at 46, which still makes us a Q1 school. And we're seven and three in our last 10. Coastal Carolina is absolutely blazing hot. They're eight and two in their last 10. Their RPI is at 54. And if they keep winning, that'll also be another Q1 opportunity for wins in the tournament once we get to Montgomery. Uh, Overall, they're 26, 15 and one. But again, they're just playing really great baseball. And you guys know it's all about what kind of baseball you're playing this time of year. That's the most important thing. Troy has come up to 13 and eight in the league. They're seven and three in their last 10 playing great baseball, 29 and 14 overall and have a conference. uh, I'm sorry, an RPI at number 80. So it's another one of those top 100 wins. That's still important. South Alabama starting to write the ship Uh, lately. They're three and seven over the last 10, but they're playing better baseball. Their RPI is still 61 and they're 10 and 11 in the conference. You know, they, they had a slobber knocker last weekend. It was uh, Texas State, right? We said it here that that was going to be one of those great series that you want to keep your eye on. And, uh, you know, South Alabama, again, we broke them when they came here. I don't know if they can fully recover. If I don't know if they dug their hole too deep, uh, but that's where they are now. Georgia State uh, able to win some games this past week. But, but again, it's another team that is really falling. Uh, I think we did some damage to them. Their RPI still sits at 67 because of another great out-of-conference RPI schedule that they played. Uh, They're 10 and 11 in the league, 24 and 21 overall. I really hope that they can right the ship because that that sweep right there would be so huge for us if they can stay in that Q2 you know uh, area. You really don't want to see them fall out of Q2. It really helps us. Uh, Little Rock, you know, not much to say about them. They're pretty average. They're 198 RPI. Uh, then followed by ULM at 182. Well, I guess ULM 182 is a little bit above Little Rock. App State, who we just saw, their RPI is 121. That's a little bit of a benefit from playing us. And I have no idea what their future schedule looks like, but it would be great if they could sneak back into that conference uh, or that RPI top 100. That's a, that's another good two wins for us if we can get them there. And then, of course, UTA at 245 and Arkansas State at 219. So that's where we are as a league. Uh, obviously, we're all paying attention to basically South Alabama and up, you know, Troy, Coastal, Georgia Southern, and Texas State. There's so many opportunities for things to change over the course of the next two weeks and going into the conference tournament. You know, I, I don't know. I'm health, I'm happy about the health of the league. It's going to be great to get to Montgomery because you're still going to be able to have the opportunity to increase your resume for the committee because that's more opportunity for Q1 and Q2 wins. I don't know. I, I think that as a baseball fan, as a Sunbelt baseball fan, you can't really ask for much more than the parody we've seen in 2022. Man, this just reminds me of old times. I'll keep saying it. Back in the old Sunbelt when we had Florida International and Western Kentucky, South Alabama was hot. We were hot. I mean, it was just every weekend was just a dogfight. And we're seeing that now. And, and it's exciting to, that, that we're back to, to where we were. Um, so hopefully we can just continue that going, get multiple teams in this year, which I think we will do. I think I think we'll get at least two in this year, maybe three, and uh, just build on that momentum for future seasons. 
Yeah, I got to agree with you, Nick. I've, it's kind of very nostalgic to see sort of this new age conference that we're in really competing on a national stage. I mean, I think we're like, what, five or six in RPI as far as power rankings of the conference itself. So watching the, the newer schools like Georgia Southern, Coastal um, and Texas State kind of do their thing, it's it, it complements us as well because we still have that competition. And it's only going to get better when teams like Old Dominion and Southern Miss come in next year. But that's what makes this fun, guys. That's what makes this time of the year fun. It's exciting to see what these other schools are doing because it really indirectly or directly affects us in many ways. But we just have to keep doing what we're doing. Take care of business starting Friday night. Go for the sweep this weekend against a UTA team that obviously does not play well on the road. And hopefully the teams we've played already in conference can take care of business, help our RPI out, and then also strengthen the conference as well. We got to keep winning because that's what we can control. And then we need our opponents and our opponents' opponents to keep winning to help us out because we want to go back to a regional. That's all that matters. Get to the field of 64. Gonna pay some bills. We'll be right back. Chris Russo of Russo Exploration encourages you to donate to the Raging Cajun Athletic Foundation. The RCAF, the official fundraising arm of Louisiana Athletics, supports over 400 student-athletes across 16 NCAA sports. You can invest in the RCAF today for as little as $5 a month. Just go to myrcaf.org to get started or call 337-851-RCAF. As always, donations to the RCAF are tax-deductible. Your investment today will enrich the lives of every athlete that puts on the vermilion and white. Go Cajuns! All right, everybody, we got to tell you about this new segment we're going to debut. Now, we can't do it tonight because, unfortunately, our credentialed media member was not able to join us. Just say it. He big-timed us. He big-timed us. Thank and you. He knows what he did. He ought to be ashamed. Man, it's got important press conferences to go to and coaches to interview, and he don't need us us uh, peasants anymore. He's outgrown us. So, so. The story behind the story is that, you know, obviously things have changed in Matt Miguez's life. He's moved on to be a, a professional media member and we commend him and we, we, we are very proud of him. And obviously uh, it, it becomes a complicated conversation to have when, you know, you, you start a podcast and it, it does what it did. And then you move on to a more professional setting. So we've kind of as a group came together and. We, we decided to kind of define roles a little bit more. Matt is now going to be joining us in a more official capacity, and we're going to um, extract some more 
let's see, insider information, we'll call it that. We're going to extract some insider information from him and kind of get his takes on the press conferences that he's able to attend, maybe some of the relationships he's able to develop with some of the coaches around UL and the complex and everything. So we're going to call this new segment credentialed. And that's a little bit of an inside joke between the four of us, because uh, when we first started doing the podcast, Matt really wanted to get credentials, man. He really wanted to get the coaches. He wanted to interview everybody. And Jerry and I would always have our little two cents about how, well, you know, we don't really need that because if we start, you know, getting credentials, then we can't, we can't be assholes on the podcast podcast anymore we, we, we got to be nice because they're going to try to tell us what to say so uh that, it's a little bit of an inside joke where uh, matt has actually fulfilled his dream of getting into the media and and great for him so we're going to call it credentialed and we're going to bring him on for his own segment and we're going to make it a very formal interview essentially so be looking out for that we're excited about it i think we're going to have we're, we're going to be able to have some fun with it and uh, we're excited for for matt to take that new role we want to lighten the mood because obviously we, we take Raging Cajun sports very seriously, even though we laugh at each other and everything, but we want to have some fun. So, you know, last week we did the, the draft, the, the, the Cajuns all time uh, best staff draft. Well, this week we want to do something a little bit different. This was born out of a content or a comment made on the radio on Matt, Matt's uh, radio show, ironically, where he didn't know who Jeff Blake was. And, People were like, oh, God, how can you be a Saints fan if you don't know who Jeff Blake is? You know, and obviously Matt was like three or four years old at the time. So I guess I give him a little bit of a break, but no excuses. No. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to be nice. Uh, (laughs) So it, it, it came up, you know, I said I had an idea, you know, how many different things throughout the course of our lifetimes did we come to know as just regular Cajun fans being Cajun fans? And we wanted to turn that into a segment. So this segment is kind of, it's going to be called you ain't a Cajun fan if blank. So, you know, you can take that and run with it 10 different ways, but we're going to go around the horn and basically we're going to say things from the past where all Cajun fans do it. And if you don't do it, then you are absolutely not a Cajun fan. This is common knowledge. You should know what the hell we're talking about. So, uh, I think Jerry was the one that was tardy on his homework last week, so I'm going to put him on the spot and make him go first. Uh oh, he Jerry. was pointing at me, so he must not have done it again this oh, week. Oh, oh god, <laughs> Jerry, did you do your homework on the bus again? You ain't a Cajun fan if you don't remember the Cajun chicken banging on his drum on the sideline back in the '90s. <laughs> I did my homework tonight, gentlemen. Good, I'm glad I came you're prepared. prepared. Good job. Right. Good job. There Good. you go, Nick. What you got? I got a ton of them. Let's see. The one Same. I'm going to, I'll start out. I'll start out with, um, if you don't know who Chris, the cotton candy guy was, you're not a real Cajuns fan. Yum, yum. Come get your son. <laughs> yum, yum. All right. Real quick. I had a good buddy and I won't say his name because I think he listens, but, uh, I think his wife listens actually. We go to, we used to go to this guy's, his name was Danny boy. People probably know Danny boy and he didn't care if I shot him out, but he used to throw the sickest Halloween party. I mean, like so bad, like he would wrap his entire, the inside of his home in visqueen. That's how badass this party was. And you, you know, you had to come correct. You had to have a, a very creative and well thought out costume. Well, my buddy here shows up dressed as Chris, the cotton candy man. That is and amazing. One, and won the, he won the contest. It was like, I forget what it was, like 200 bucks or something, but it was sick. He shows up and he's, he's doing the whole bit. He's got a wig. He's, you know, he's doing the limp because everybody knows Chris got stabbed or whatever. I got to tell you, man, though, <laughs> nobody did a better Chris, the cotton candy guy, than, than rest in peace, T.D. Smith. 
one night he did it and we laughed so hard he couldn't even announce the next batter so i yeah that chris is a legend td started that so uh kudos to him as well actually chris what's funny is so chris i think chris actually lived in new orleans i want to say and i'll never forget so he would do the ul games and then he would do the saints games in the superdome or he would do like superdome events and i'll never forget he stopped i think he had gotten sick or something and he had stopped doing the games in lafayette and i remember walking into the first new orleans bowl in 2011 Walking right into the concourse, and guess who's selling cotton candy? He was like a celebrity, man. All of the Cajun fans were like going up to him and hugging him and you know, shaking his hand. And I remember telling, I remember telling him because I, you know, when I worked the games, I got I, I kind of got to know him. I'm like, Chris, isn't it crazy, man, that you're working in the Superdome for a Cajuns football bowl game? And he's like, Man, it's unbelievable, man. It's unbelievable. But it was so cool to see him again. And I, I hope he's doing well. Well, uh, you know, status update. Chris actually is doing part-time work at Pogies. I know that because, unfortunately, I made the mistake of being Upper Lafayette, Karen Crow area for the Mardi Gras. I don't know if it was like Monday night, and Clint had this ridiculous amount of people over there. I just had to pee, and I want to drink. Walk up to the bar. Chris walks up to me with that slack jaw smile. Hey, man, what's going on? I was like, oh, my Field God, trip. you're not dead. You are not in prison. You are alive. Field trip. We got to go see that, man. Yeah, it was a blast from the past. I hadn't seen him in years. And, you know, the urban legend is, is that what? He stabbed a guy and then went to prison and nobody ever saw him again. (laughs) Something like that. I don't know. One of those stories that keeps changing over time. Nick, Nick, you you stole the show. That's a great one. I didn't even think about Chris. I was going to I was going to say, look, if you don't own a red dot shirt, you ain't a Cajuns fan. I have one. one. I got I got another one. If if you if you couldn't read the strikes and balls on the old scoreboard at the Teague, you ain't a Cajuns fan. <laughs> That's good. I'm gonna try to not laugh through this one, so because um, at, there's a certain delivery I've got to give. If you don't know the name of the doctor that helped Jake Delome get back to 2020 vision, you're not a real Cajuns fan. <laughs> it's gotta be Lahe, right? Doctor Lahe. Yeah, right. Sorry. It's Lahe sick. Oh, if you, oh, I got one. I, oh, Josh, actually, I'll let you go, Josh. You go ahead. <laughs> All right, hang on a second. <clears throat> I got a few more. I got a few more. Go ahead. I got a, I got a ton of them. This is good. All right. If you had to go to the bathroom and you had to bring a shower curtain into Cajun Field because he had no doors for privacy, <laughs> you ain't a Cajuns fan. <laughs> yes, indeed. Okay, so funny story about that. This was back in like 02 or 03. Wait, can we, do you really want to tell the story about this? No, I, this never, no, 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 this, okay. this wasn't okay, me. This, this wasn't, I, I promise you, I'm not going to expose too much the here. The power but, of editing is real, so just if, go ahead. If you remember, if you recall, back in the day, Cajun Field was so dilapidated, right? We just kind of let it die on the vine for the most part. There were, you know, the scoreboard would always go out on the, where, where, where the concessions are um, in the south end zone before the new scoreboard was built. And there was no walkway to the other side. So you were walking up and down mounds to get to the other side of the stadium, even if they let you walk because it was unsafe. Um, but I remember uh, we were playing Louisiana Tech in 03. It was the home opener. And we had just played South Carolina close. It was very exciting. It was Coach Bustle's second year, a lot of expectations. And I remember going on the uh, Louisiana Tech fan boards, and we had a bunch of Cajun fans going on there, trolling them, saying like, oh, yeah, we're – 
we're going to beat you and all this stuff. And ironically, they spanked us that night, but that's beside the point. Uh, one of the fans started talking smack and was like, hey, guys, just to let you know, when you go to Lafayette, make sure you bring a shower curtain to the bathroom. So when you have to go take a dookie, you have some privacy. And I just remember, like, I, I, I was in high school at the time and I could not stop laughing because it's true. When you go to the bathroom, the urinals had no doors. Y'all remember that? I remember when the baseball clubhouse bathroom didn't even have, it didn't have walls. It just had like <laughs> toilets in the middle. So yes, I do remember those days, Jerry. And then also too, and speaking of Cajun field, the, the, the lack of maintenance back in the day, you ain't okay. So, you know, it says Cajun field up on the big elevator shaft. When you're driving along Bertrand, you ain't a Cajuns fan. If you read it as Cayune field, cause the J was missing. <laughs> yeah, right. That's so true. That was one of mine, man. That's good. So Sorry, man. <laughs> y'all are doing way better than me. I, this, I, I came up with this shit and y'all are killing it. I'm laughing my ass off. All right, I got it. I got one. If you don't know what significance January 5th, 2006 has, you you're not a true Cajun fan. Any clue? Ooh, 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 ooh. ooh January ooh. 5th, 2006. Ooh. Um, that is the day Daddy Cajun started the thread titled January will be sweet and failed to give any further information or follow <laughs> up at any point to date as to what that meant. We're still trying to figure it out. Okay, Nick. That's a just, tradition now. I, no, I, I did not know that. And and now every time somebody posts on Raging Page and May's going to be sweet, That's I always wonder, why do you people say that? <laughs> we still don't know what it meant from back in 2006. So we're in the same boat, brother. And we never found out. Never also, found out. speaking of which, you ain't a Cajuns fan if you don't remember the Delphi forums. That was one of mine. Yeah, same. I, it was oh, one of mine. All too. right. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> Uh, well, we were are we original members of Delphi? I, I was. I was like thirteen, talking trash with a bunch of adults. Absolutely, absolutely. That's yeah. the first message message board I ever signed up for in my entire life. I think it might be the only other one outside of Ruger Rooms and RP. That was the second oh, one for I, me I because Ice Gators was a big deal, so Gator Forum was my number one. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. Off like just out of nowhere, you're not a Cajuns fan if you had to if you never had to decide between a, a Ice Gator game and a Cajun game. Well, man, that was tough for me because I grew up in New Orleans. We had the brass, but I do remember being jealous. I remember, you know, at the brass games, you know, before the we got the Hornets, who are now, of course, the Pels. That was what I mean. The, the only thing the New Orleans arena was good for when it came to sports were the brass. And I mean, they were lucky to get four or five thousand people. But, you know, who was a big brass fan and I met and I smoked with which I didn't smoke, but I smoked a cigarette that night and almost coughed up a lung. John Goodman was a big brass fan and he would go to every single one of those games and he was smoking and I was like acting like I smoked. So I was like, hey, bro, can I bum a cigarette? And he's like, That's sure. Awesome. And I almost vomited. If you've never searched for Yvette Gerard's plaque, you ain't a Cajun fan. <laughs> oh, man. That's awesome. Oh, There's only man. a select few people that'll get that, I guess, but it's still Speaking funny to me. Oh, no. Speaking of plaques, the Jerry Baldwin's plaque with his name on it, I wouldn't call it a plaque, his nameplate. The, plate, the yes. day that he, he he was no longer coach and we had a press conference, we knew he was getting fired because he had thrown it out in the trash. Well, T.D. Smith picks it out and brings it to the radio station. He's like, hey, guys, look what I got. Jerry Baldwin's nameplate. <laughs> Since then, to this day, the last place fantasy football player in the Town Square Media fantasy football wins the Jerry Baldwin Award. And your name is added to that plaque. Wow bit of information for you boys wow that's good stuff right there oh my all right I got, I got one last one 
if you thought John Van Cleve was going to take us to the Sugar Bowl when he signed with us, you're not a real Cajuns fan. I thought he was going to be the man. No, he was the man. That was it. Sugar Bowl, Miami was going to sign. That was it. He was getting recruited by like a bunch of P5s. And I mean, and we're, we're trying to figure out how did he end up here, you know? And then Eric Rakita came on to sub for him and was better for like half a season before he broke Eric his back. Dyer, Well, how he got the starting job was Derek Dyer got like plastered at at, at freaking Texas. And then yeah. he was like, I'm out. I'm gone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you ain't a Cajuns fan if you didn't go to the Winn-Dixie Showdown to watch USL take on whoever, oh, UNO, LSU, right. Mississippi State. You ain't a you Cajuns ain't a fan K- if you've K- never K- hollered go to hell McNeese. Oh, that's a good one. You ain't a Cajuns fan if you didn't have a Dr. Seuss cat in the hat hat for the basketball games. <laughs> yeah. I remember as a kid when we played UNO, we would always go to the Lakefront Arena to watch that game. And there was always a bunch of Cajuns fans that would travel and they had the, the cat in the hat, Dr. Seuss hats. We should bring that back, by the way. That would be awesome. Should... If you've never cussed someone out who was trying to take a left on the West Congress after a Cajuns game, you're not a real Cajuns fan. <laughs> that's, that's a once a week uh, thing for me. That, that, that still happens. If you never stared at the Luthers or Carl's Bertrand and go, man, I'm craving some barbecue after the game, you're not a Cajuns fan. <laughs> Dude, I um, I don't know if I should tell the story. All right, I'm going to tell it anyway. We no, had you got to say it now. We had a high school team coming in and Robe asked me to open the locker room and let them in. They were on the road to, to practice. And so um, they come in and they're, you know, change and they go on the field and everything. And all of a sudden you remember that, that bathroom that has no doors or no walls. Well, I see one kid run in and one kid and then another kid immediately run in right after him. And then pretty soon there were like three or four kids in there, like taking turns doing their thing. So I go to the coach and I'm like, are you guys okay? Yeah. They made the, the poor decision of going eat Luther's barbecue about 10 minutes before getting to the field. Um, so yeah, Luther's will now live in infamy in my mind. Sheesh. You ain't a wow. Cajuns fan. You ain't a Cajuns fan. If you didn't get into a barroom fight after beer pong at the Baja beach grill. Ooh, you got to, uh-huh. did you really? Wow. Hey, they had some you know, good, sneaky like, good plate lunches it, for lunch, though. I was about bad. to say, that was my go-to spot after class. I would always go get a plate lunch with one of my friends. It was either there, Dwyer's, or we would just go somewhere around town. But Baja was definitely a top five pick. It was a good spot for a long time. They just didn't run it right. And, you know, the beer pong was a horrible idea. You get a bunch of, like, 18 to 21-year-olds playing beer pong, and you stick them in a parking lot at one o'clock in the morning what do you think's gonna happen yeah that's not a great that's not smart i'll wrap it with this one you ain't a cajuns fan if you never heard the story about hudspeth's pool boy and i'll leave it at that and jerry's face says it all (laughs) look at this this is the one i needed a screenshot right here (laughs) all right moving on jerry you got the fbs numbers i know uh you know, revenues and whatnot came out for the 21-22 fiscal year for FBS football programs. Actually, I think it was programs as a whole. Let's talk about it. I mean, we're coming off of a COVID year where obviously so many athletic programs were gutted. So I, I don't even know what's a realistic expectation for a pro- program like ours. But if you look at the numbers, it, it looks like we're in a pretty decent uh, position, especially compared to Sunbelt schools and in-state schools. What do you got? 
Yeah, so I, I was able to kind of look at the in-state schools, and yes, I did include LSU, even though they're kind of an outlier because they are a major program. But I was able to look at our conference, um, and of course, that doesn't include Little Rock and UTA. They don't have football, obviously. So I was able to do that, and I looked at some of the in-state schools, such as Louisiana Tech and Tulane. And, and of course, ULM's already in our conference by default. Um as far as uh, as far as budgeting goes, uh, we're third in in, in the Sun Belt. Um, Texas State's number one; they're at thirty three point seven million. Uh, Georgia State is number two, right at thirty two million, and the Cajuns came at number three at thirty one point three million. Uh, compared to in state schools, um, I think we're number two behind LSU. LSU is obviously they're at one; they had one thirteen. I believe last year, which is actually a lot lower than what it was the year before for obvious reasons with COVID. Um, so we're, so like I said, we're at 31.3 Tulane is at 29.8. So we're a little bit bigger than theirs. And then Louisiana tech is a uh, measly 21.1 million, which I believe is the lowest in conference USA. So, um, and then ULM, ULM is at 16, which we all kind of knew that they were, they were struggling. They've always struggled financially. So, you know, as far as standings in the Sun Belt, the Cajuns are financially in pretty good shape. Uh, obviously, you want to keep growing it. Obviously, you want to eventually, if you want to get to a better conference, you have to get those numbers up. Uh, like a Wolf on Wall Street, you know, rookie numbers, pump those numbers up, right? They're rookie numbers. But I think we're on the right track as far as within our group. Um, so, you know, for, for COVID year and having experienced all that, I, you know, it doesn't seem so bad. I mean, obviously it took a little bit of a hit, but a 30, a little over 31 million, that's not bad. So, um, you know, everybody suffered, everybody suffered. Um, I did find, I did some research on basketball because they did have men's and women's basketball. And I know I've mentioned this in previous episodes, but, um, UL is number two in both men's and women's basketball budgets. We're number two, um, in the conference. So we're, we look like we have some financial stability there as, as well. Um, and I want to say Tulane, believe it or not, uh, has, I think the Cajuns and men's basketball was right at uh, 2.3 million. And then Tulane was at 2.6. But ironically, uh, the Louisiana was at one and a half million in women's basketball and Tulane was only at 1.3 million. So it looks like we do emphasize, you know, we, we, we got to show some love for our title nine, uh, women's basketball. Uh, and, and so, I thought that was a very interesting um, uh, uh, data, some interesting data there uh, as far as in the, within the state. But here's the here's the kicker there. Um, I, I find that uh, it looks like we talk about how how the Sun Belt doesn't really have um, as far as basketball. Right. It's not emphasized because I looked at some of the other budgets. The fact that we're number two and, and obviously Georgia State is number one. Um, if you look at some of these budgets, Arkansas State, they're only at 1.1 million men's basketball, 1.1. Um, ULM, they're also at 1.1 million, barely at a million. So you really see, you know, money does talk. I think that's what it proves. Money does talk. But overall, I thought Louisiana, as far as compared to their peers in the state and in the conference, financially, we're, we do have a little bit of a competitive competitive advantage there so i just wanted to bring some of the data in uh kind of jump i mumbled a little bit here but it, it was it, it's just some interesting data to kind of talk about um, well, specific to basketball i mean we kind of already 
knew that the numbers actually bear out what we already thought. I mean, we, we have we double the revenue of a ULM of Arkansas State, and yet we're still finishing where we're finishing. We're under we're underachieving if you look at it purely from a number standpoint. And uh, you know, obviously, we've talked about basketball earlier in the episode. Uh, things have got to change, and obviously, things are going to change soon because. It, change is coming. I mean, I think we all know that. I think we can all feel that. But uh, I, I want to say something about tech. Tech, it's funny about their position in revenue because half their budget is funded by state dollars. One thing about UL is we don't accept state dollars. Now, I know there's a little bit of, you know, finagling with some auxiliary funds and whatnot through the foundation. And, and that's a conversation for another day. But the fact of the matter is, is that tech is broke and tech is entering into a conference that's going to continue to make them broke because their interest is going to wane their their travel expenses are going to increase and i i just don't see a better tv deal for them so uh, i i don't know I, I think the revenue standpoint for tech or the, the revenue example for tech is something that is a problem for them and i'm sp- strictly because they're an in-state school i hate their guts but just on paper they have some they have some troubled waters ahead. I, I think that that's pretty obvious. ULM, actually, I think ULM is poised to increase their budget and increase their revenue just because of, number one, a healthier Sunbelt Conference, less travel. But now they're not under the, the, I don't know, kind of the watchful eye of tech. You know, tech, there's some separation going on, and it's not the kind of separation that tech was envisioning. And, and the revenue dollars kind of show that, you know. So, that's very interesting. Some very interesting numbers. And also Tulane was lower on the revenue scale than I thought. But at the same time, if you're coming off of COVID and then you're also coming off of an administration in New Orleans that kind of held bans in place that probably kept people away from from the stands and, and from buying merchandise and from supporting student athletes. I guess it kind of makes sense. You know, if you look about if you think about the context of all of it, it kind of makes sense. And, and meanwhile, Louisiana basically broke even. From from if you look at just the budget and what the revenue dollars say, we basically broke even. So that's important. That's important to note. All right, guys, I wanted to talk about uh, Jay Walker and Brian Maggard on the Cajun Connection podcast. They, you know, Jay does a great job interviewing and he brought up several hot button topics. Uh, there were a few that stood out to me. I wanted to get your guys take on it. I know we kind of talked about listening, so I hope you guys were able to listen. But there were some things that stood out that I, I would love to talk about. First and foremost, you know, obviously with the changes that are proposed by this transition committee, I think it's transition committee. I keep screwing that up. The number one thing that that stuck out to me about that conversation between those two, if they remove the scholarship limitations, there's so many ways that you can go with that. If you do say, all right, we're removing the scholarship, uh, the scholarship caps, and then and then you, you go ahead and you fund that and everything and everything moves on and, and the conferences vote that they all want to be in favor of it. Uh, that's one thing. Obviously, your costs are going to increase there uh, just in baseball. But what if Title IX ultimately comes behind and, and forms new legislation and says, if you're going to remove caps on baseball and you're going to remove caps on softball, well, now you have to find an equivalency sport. So, for example, streaming has been a top it's been a top priority around here because we want to watch our baseball when the team is either or, or when we're not able to make it to the tee or when the team is playing on the road. We want to be able to see that. What if somehow Title IX gets involved and Title IX demands if you stream all the baseball games, you got to stream all the softball games. 
if you go ahead and vote the Sun Belt wants instant replay for baseball, now you have to have instant replay for softball. Think about the capital investment that that's going to take. That's going to take more production equipment. It's going to take more resources. It's going to take more labor force. Uh, obviously, you got to have strate- strategic positioning of cameras on the field. So what does that look like? Is it mobile cameras? Is it, uh, you know, something that you got to have a fixed position for? And you got to, there's, the, the possibilities are endless when it comes to that. Does Title IX ultimately start to govern how out of control these scholarship um, limitations actually can be if you remove them? Does, does Title IX throw a wrench in all that stuff? Does Title IX kind of change the trajectory of, especially a G5, where you're already increasing costs? Now you have to increase costs even more in order to be in compliance with what Title IX might ultimately require when all this stuff kind of becomes sweeping changes across the nation. Have you guys thought about any of that? Yeah, I thought that was an interesting perspective he brought because I never really thought about it because you think Title IX is federal law already. So if they do unlimited scholarships in baseball, they're going to have to do it in softball. If they do it in football, like you said, are they going to have to think about equivalency and what the cost that they're paying? Is it equivalent to what they're funding their softball program? I think it will. I think if it's going to hurt anyone or or maybe change the landscape a certain way, I still maintain there are probably going to be 10 or 20 schools that will across the board be able to support this in, in a conference. But if you look at the, let's just say Illinois, for instance, do you think Illinois cares outside of basketball and football? Probably not. So will they, can they fund baseball and softball? Probably. Will they want to? I don't know. Um, well, and, well, Nick, to bring it even more locally, do you think App State gives a shit about baseball and softball no, the way we do? They don't. The answer would be no. And if it comes down to a conference vote, let's just say the conference is all for it. I mean, how, what does that look like? Do you do you force an App State or, you know, let's say a school with a smaller budget like ULM. Do you force them to get on board with your production requirements and say, do this in X amount of time, say two years or what? You're out. How do you enforce that? How do you move forward? Do we go to a model where, look, if you can afford, if you have the resources to to be able to afford these capital improvements, great. If you can't, great. What kind of a competitive disadvantage does that give to a ULM? You know what I mean? Like there's so many different tentacles. And and not only that, but are we going to put the cart before the horse like we did with NIL, like we're doing with Transfer Portal? Like we like these things just came out. And now they're uh, I sent you the article earlier. Now they're talking about holding teams accountable that have their boosters offering NIL deals and tampering. We're going to retroactively go back and punish them. Well, that's fine and dandy. One, how are you going to catch them? Two, are you going to apply the same thing to this? Are you just going to say, okay, everybody can offer as many scholarships up to 35 for baseball. Good luck. Have fun. And not even consider these things because clearly they didn't consider the, the the repercussions of NIL. They didn't put any limits on transfers portals of transfer portal. So I, I don't trust that they're going to have any real guidance or understanding of how, what effect this will have. And that, that in itself scares the hell out of me. Well, going back to what you talked about, about how you're going to, they want to punish these boosters or whatever, who opened up the door for that? Who, who's, who, who created exactly. the opportunity? So they want to punish these group of people for something that they kind of enabled, 
You know, and that's it's kind of like you say, you putting the cart before the horse is exactly what the NCAA is doing. And they and they're trying to to stop the the monster they created. But I mean, really, they I keep going back to the same question. How did you not think about this before you made it effective? Right. How did you not think about these things? You knew this was going to happen. You knew that there was going to be this this opportunity for these young, these student athletes to financially gain from it. But you didn't set a cap. You didn't set limits. You didn't set certain standards. You just said, okay, go ahead, do what you got to do. And now they want to punish the same group of people that's doing that from the model that they created. And am, am, am I off here? Like, I'm just trying to, it just baffles me. How oh, exactly by the way, right. that, to that's make why it, I don't think it was by accident. To make it, it even better, it really to make does. it even better, the guy are, are the leaders who are going to, quote, fix this are the conference leaders who have the more, most resources that have unlimited funds to spend. And whatever changes they make, it probably won't affect them that much because they can afford all this stuff that they're going to roll out. So that doesn't give me any confidence that the process is going to work. That's it. it it's and scary. Look, look at who went and met with, uh, it was uh, Marsha Blackburn from Tennessee. And I can't remember the other representative. It was the Senate. Pac 12, I think. Didn't they, didn't they have somebody from the Pac 12? It, it was the Pac 12 commissioner and Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner. Those two went on behalf of what college football. Are you kidding me? In a model where we're trending towards the conferences being the authoritative arm of all this stuff, the enforcement arm, the people that are eventually going to have to take the votes and and really come up with their own governing uh, systems, essentially, is where we're going. We send Greg Sankey, the commissioner of the richest Power Five conference, to the Senate to 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 do what? To put to put some sort of boundaries on NIL. This is the same conference that's benefiting greatly via the the, the no-holds-barred nature of NIL. Makes absolutely they're, no sense. The representation that they send for college football is the same people that are, are taking advantage of the system that's in place. They Makes started absolutely all this. no sense. This conference has started all this. They're the ones that started the domino effect of conference realignment. They started all of this. They're the ones benefiting the most. So, you know, I guess it's just kind of ironic. It's funny you mentioned that, Josh, because, look, I got nothing against Greg Sankey, but when he goes and says I'm representing college, like you said, representing college football, he doesn't represent the Sun Belt. He doesn't represent the G5. He doesn't represent mid-majors. He doesn't represent, you know, these schools that literally have to grind their way to have any type of financial competitive advantage. I, th- that's the part that gets me. What they should have done is allowed somebody – from a G5 conference to go speak their mind as well, instead of getting All somebody. All FBS conference uh, <laughs> commissioners should be at that meeting or at the table. There should sure. be some sort of discussion between all of them. And, and look, honestly, you guys know that it's it's going to end up in federal court. This is going to end up, there's going to be antitrust laws. The, people are going to get sued out of, in, into oblivion before all this is figured out. And it was because of lack of care from people that were in positions of power, like idiots like freaking Mark Emmert and the NCAA who have been, uh, I mean, it's been a shell, it's been a shell game for I, I don't know how long. This is ridiculous. So we, we have gotten ourselves into a shitty situation. Now we're getting we're getting quote unquote represented for somebody to help us out by Greg Sankey. Sorry, dude, that doesn't, that doesn't fly with me. It makes absolutely no sense for the majority. Look, there are, there are 20 to 25 very rich institutions that play uh, collegiate athletics. 
the rest of the, you know, if you're in football, the rest of the 100, if you play college basketball, the rest of the 300, if you play baseball, the rest of the 350, they don't represent us. They don't represent the majority of collegiate athletics. Why are why is it always these type of people that are the ones given the platform to go and quote unquote defend us, work with the the the, the legislators to get this stuff fixed, quote unquote I'll, fixed? It makes I'll no tell sense. you why. I'll tell you why, Josh, because when we set up this power five deal and that the now G5 conference leaders signed off on allowing those five conferences to make all of the decisions. That this is this is what happens when you allow that, because we were so scared at the time that and and I think uh, Dr. Savoy was one of those who signed off on this. We were so scared at the time that the power five conferences would 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 leave and start their own thing that we felt like we were forced to give them all the power and make all the decisions. This is a result of that those us signing off on that years ago, this is the result and this is what's happening. This is what I said from day one would happen and now it's coming into fruition. So we're getting exactly what we deserved. We gave them the power to do this on our behalf. So here we are. At the same time, you know, obviously the climate of college sports has changed. I, I wonder how I wonder how many options they had, Nick. I wonder, you know, what kind of leverage they had then. You know, we were still getting breadcrumbs then, probably even worse than now. Now it's been become such a public thing, and there's so many. It's essentially a monopoly over the entire uh, system that they did. Honestly, the SEC has, but even even still, the Power Five. Well, so I, I, would, I would like to go back and maybe investigate myself and read and, and kind of get more educated on what was going on at the time, uh, even more so now to, to get some real perspective. But it doesn't seem like we ever really had that much much leverage from where I sit now. And indirectly, what I mean, look, who is it really affected? It hasn't just affected G5 schools. It hasn't really just affected, you know, um, these mid majors. It's also affected their own school on the academic side. Right. I mean, I'll use a prime example of LSU. Look, their main focus is sports. They love football, right? Football. They got, you know, oh, Saturday night in Tiger Stadium. Meanwhile, the, the library is collapsing before their eyes. They, they, they can barely keep the lights on. They can't they have no money to fund their to improve their buildings for students to go to class in. And I'm not and I'm not trying to say that to dog LSU, even though it is. It is kind of ironic how that turned out when you prioritize one thing over another like they have for so many decades. But I'm using that as an example because what it's done is it's kind of interfered. When you got these schools paying millions of dollars with NIL to go play football, you're kind of straying away from the reason of going to college. And that's on the academic side. And look, you're getting pushback from academia on this, too, a lot of times. Some schools are trying to take advantage of it and capitalize on it because what it does is it brings you know, popularity to the school. But if you don't handle your finances properly, if you don't allocate your, your, your money well enough, it can actually, you can actually put academics in the, in the, in the, in the back burner. And that can actually affect the, the quality of your institution. I think you're starting to see it. I mean, look at the scandals, look at the North Carolina scandal a few years back. What was the scandal of the, uh, the movie stars, kids uh, lying about their ACT or whatever to go get scholarships to play sports or whatever. So, California. California. Yeah. In California. Right. I mean, Look, I mean, that's like you said, that's federal. That's federal laws that were broken. And so that's I think that's more of the danger in all of this. And, you know, back to our original statement about the Title IX stuff, about just having equality and affording equipment to be able to stream games. I know that's what was the premise. It kind of went we kind of went you know deeper into this conversation. But 
it's true. You know, you start talking about being able to, like you said, if you're going to stream baseball games, what about softball games? And then the Title IX question comes in. Well, guess what? You got to give equality. You got to give equal finances. You got to give a fair share to everybody here. Well, what if you can't do that? What if you don't have the resources? What if you don't have the money? You know, are you, 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 you might break some laws. You may break some rules. I don't know if, I guess what I'm trying to say is I don't know. Not only did they not think this through, I really don't know if there's a solution. I don't even know if they have a solution and it's frustrating. I keep saying it. It's frustrating because again, they should have thought about this before. Well, I think the solution is like our guy that I'm going to get on the pod as soon as we can. He's so busy. Uh, He, he was, I think he was one of uh, the um, architects of CUSA back in the day where they weren't conference DOA. Uh, but he is he is a lawyer and he's been deep, deep in NIL stuff uh, midwinter. He he basically said the only way to avoid all this stuff is to tier college athletics, have a salary cap and have, uh, you know, have a, a some sort of a central governing body salary cap and make the, the players employees. That's the a only cap. way to do it. A cap. But how hard was that? Right. How hard well, is that? Because because when you do a salary cap, now you have to make them employees. And when you make them employees, you open up Pandora's box. You're talking about taxation. Who, who knows? Like that is Pandora's box. That is something that's that nobody true. ever wanted to see. But you're right. If you're going to regulate it properly, that's what you have to do. I mean, we're getting closer and closer to that. And look, amateurism is over. It's been over for a long time. But now it's out in the open where everybody can see just exactly what it looks like. So that's a whole other conversation for a whole other podcast. I'll, I'll hold off on more comments for that. The other thing that Brian said that stuck out to me, um, his tepid nature on the Cajun field renovation that stood out to me the most. There were other things, but I, those two things, uh, our conversation we just had, and then the Cajun field renovations, you know, there was a lot of ifs and wins and maybes. It, it was kind of discouraging. Obviously he, he all, but I mean, he, he, validated all the concerns we've been having on the pod and conversations we've had with other fans within the fan base. It's delayed. It's not going to start when, when they thought um, the donations are maybe around where he thought they'd be, but we're working with an RCAF that has a skeleton crew. Now he did say that we haven't had a significant drop off in our uh, raising funds efforts. I find that hard to believe because we literally are working with like 13 less people. So that's hard to believe, but they're hoping on hope that we can maybe put a plan together to demolish in at the end of the next football season. That's not at all where we were supposed to be. We were supposed to we were supposed to see some demo happening already. Uh, I'm concerned about that because the further we go with this, the more it ties Brian and his legacy to the Cajun field renovation. Unfortunately, that's kind of how it works in the, in these roles. It's that kind of business. You know, we've we have our feelings about Brian. Most of the way that I feel about Brian as a man and as an AD are overwhelmingly positive. I think that he is messing with fire when it comes to this thing. And a lot of it's not his fault. Look, I'll say, I'll be the first one to say inflation is a real thing. The cost of materials is a real thing. I'm going through a renovation of my own right now. I know uh, just our budget has gone up almost 30%. And that's just materials. That's not labor. That's not other things. So I know what Brian's looking at from from a project standpoint. He's got a lot of red tape. He's still got to go through. Man, it just feels like a long way away. And I'm concerned that he's going to start losing the faith of the majority of the fan base with regard to 
Cajun field and the renovation. Do you guys feel the same? Yeah, it was disappointing to hear, but it's not unexpected. I feel like we all knew that would be the answer if if asked. I was hopeful and I guess it's, I was dumb for even thinking it. But when we signed this this agreement with the Saints to, to do some work with them, we were going to have student workers go over there and we had this partnership for years. I was really hoping that that would turn into something uh, financial that the Saints or, or Benson's or now Mrs. Benson would would do and 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 help us out with in the long run um, as we would build on this partnership. I don't know that we had. I hope we had the vision to make the ask at some point, um, but I think it. If we're going to get it done in the next five years, I think we're going to have to have somebody like that or a business make a significant contribution because the reality is, like you said, inflation. Things are not. Once you start paying higher prices for stuff, it it doesn't typically go down very quickly. Let's say we get through inflation and the economy is great. It's still going to take a while for those prices to drop. So it's going to be really, really tough. And I, I appreciate him saying we want to do it right. We want to do it all at one time. We, we don't want to do it in phases. But as fans, us not seeing any type of progress whatsoever, when we're expecting to tear down half of half of the stadium, this summer that's discouraging and it just it 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 makes us think we're USLing it and that's the last thing that we need to show our fans and our donors is that here we go again we have these big plans and and we don't follow through we've been talking about a new stadium since what 20 years ago and and there's still not a bulldozer on site so disappointing but not unexpected i just hope that we can somehow find the funding in the next couple of years if not this is going to continue to be pushed that's just my my understanding of how i think things will go i mean honestly it's it's it, look it's by far the largest project since probably the construction of construction of cajun field in 1970 or whenever it was open right so i know that there's a lot of Look, there's a lot of money involved. I mean, it's like almost what a sixty-something million-dollar project. So, I mean, looking at the looking at the past, um, we've already botched projects before, but this is such a huge project that we've never experienced in in the modern era. That I understand there's going to be some hiccups. Uh, we can't control inflation. We can't control the fact that we hit a worldwide pandemic during this time. We can't control. Uh, you know, all of these different external factors, but what we can control, and I go back to what you said, Josh, about a month or two ago is the, is the way we get the message out. And, and I think the way the message has been construed, I think I want to say that, you know, if, if we're willing to give a drawing or if we're willing to give some type of just sincere, you know, just a sincere message that look, we're, we're, we're doing the best we can. Um, I think Cajun fans can understand the, 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 it, it's, it, this is one Give of those projects. a sign that this might actually happen. Yes. That's and, what and, you're I think, for. And, and I think, here's real the thing. Quick, I think, real quick to add to you. The scary thing about this, Jerry, and this is the thing that concerns me the most, and I'm glad that Brian is in the position he is because I think that he'll do everything he can to get this project done. But I'm telling you right now, it's 2022. I am scared, and this is coming from contractors that I work with. This is coming from my general contractor that's doing our work. We might look back at 2022 and say, wow, those material prices were a bargain. 
you know, look, it's a volatile time, volatile time right now. As many times have we've have we've been USL'd, as you said, Nick. In this type of project, as big as it is, I think fans are willing to be patient. But you have to communicate it. You have to be, you got to communicate. You can't go six or seven months without saying anything. And then seven months later, we're waiting for something. And then it's all of a sudden, well, we're still buying time. Can't do that. Uh, And I'm not saying Brian's doing that. I'm not saying anybody in the administration is doing that. But it goes back to what you said when we retained Coach Marlin. You got to get the message across because this is a big, this is the, this is a huge deal. Biggest renovation we've experienced since we built the stadium. So I, I just think right now um, it's obviously, you know, fans are starting to get a little impatient because again, going back to your point, Nick, it's almost a typical, here we go again, here we go again, back to the old days of being promised things and not pulling through. But if you get the communication right and you just explain all these factors and you still try to, you know, at least get some type of, I mean, I don't know. Go get a bull. Go put a bulldozer in front of Cajun Field. Make it look like we're doing something. You know, perception is key here, right? I, I just, yeah. I, I mean, that, I just, I've seen renderings for the last twenty years to the point where there were even apartments that were going to be put up, and we would have this Cajun space, and we would have this and that, and then we had different renderings, and then we would do the whole thing, and then we'd have two decks. And so, forgive me for not being an optimist on this. But I've seen it all in the last 20 years. And I I just we're not even talking about cost of goods, the availability. I mean, we're building out a space at my work right now and they won't even get like they'll, they'll be able to open. But they don't even have office furniture for another four months because they can't get it. So what will that look like three, four five years down the road? I don't know. It's just it's disappointing. And I'm not going to expect much on the next edition of Rage and Review. What gets done earlier? I-49 connector or a Cajun <laughs> field. I'm serious. I've been seeing, I've, I swear to God, I feel, I feel like I've been seeing renderings for Cajun field longer than I've been seeing renderings for they, 49. They and took, they've been doing scientific studies for 35 years. They finally took down the future I-49 corridor signs that have been up there since I was a child. I don't think those are up anymore. I, what, I didn't what, notice what? that, but th- that would be a step in the right direction. I mean, that's how slow this thing moves. What comes first, the Lafayette Loop or Cajun field renovation? <laughs> The, 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 ne- the, the new Baton Rouge bridge, that one will come first. Right. <laughs> you know, and it's look real quickly. I, I just, it's, it's, if you really combine everything, NIL, the football stadium, the, the whole transfer portal and just the way college athletics is the dynamics are changing. It's as a Cajuns football fan, it's, it's a little tough to see because we're finally, we finally hit that mark of momentum ranked, top 16 in the past two years, won the first outright conference championship in over 50 years. You just lost your coach to a P5. You know, you have a lot of promise coming into this season. And then all of these things just happen at one time. Uh, All I know is I just hope, all I hope for is that coach Dez and this team can really continue what, what we, what we started a few years ago, because look, regardless of what stadium we play in the place, the place still needs to be packed regardless of if it's a new stadium or an old stadium. It's like the new Teague and the old Teague, right? Look, we got this magical, as Coach Deggs calls it, a palace. It's a pearl. But even in even before the stadium, I mean, Nick, you remember how long we talked about the baseball stadium. My cousin started there in 02, and they were recruiting him to the new stadium. So at this point, all I'm asking is, like, 
still still fill the place up regardless of what it looks like you know i mean at the end of the day it can look so pretty but it's the fans that really make the facility but i would like to see a new stadium at the same time right yeah on that note before we go to man i tell you what you ain't a cajuns fan if you weren't at the texas a&m game but you actually were at the texas a&m game i think you guys understand (laughs) what i'm saying on that idea yes jerry are you ready for the return Oh, yes. Let's do it. Man, I tell you what. Man, I tell you what. Here we are in early May. The weather's starting to get warmer. Festival season in full swing. And another tradition down here in South Louisiana, like none other, has finally reared its head to all of us, especially here at Cajun Nation. The Diamond Sports Postseason Race. For the first time since 2016, both Louisiana Raging Cajun softball and Raging Cajun baseball are in the hunt for a spot in the 2022 NCAA Regionals. These next few weeks will be very important as our Diamond Sports try to finish strong and put their names on the national stage once again. It will be fun as our fans constantly go to certain websites to follow our RPI in both baseball and softball. I'm sure... Both the softball team and baseball team will be taking it one game at a time and taking that focus away of the RPI and leaving it up to the fans. And even though we have not missed a beat in softball, it's finally nice to see us in the conversation for baseball. As you know, our baseball team has not seen the postseason since we said goodbye to the old Teague in 2016. But they're in the hunt once again. And it's going to be fun to follow the many different scenarios like we talked about in other games, not only around the conference, but around the country that will indirectly and directly affect our team. And the reason why I say that is because there's a sense of normalcy that's returned this time of year. We get the full crowds. We get to open up things again after the pandemic. But also, too, our baseball team is finally once again playing up to its standards that it set for itself many years ago. And there's a little bit of familiarity of having this conversation. And it does feel sweet. So as we proceed with the final few weeks of the regular season and into the conference tournament, let's continue to root for both our baseball and softball teams as they try to finish strong and position themselves for a postseason bid. And let's also take it in. Take in the normalcy once again. Take in the beautiful spring weather. Take in the atmosphere and take in the pride of being a Cajun here in late May. Man, I tell you what, let's buckle up because in the next few weeks, it's going to be a very, very interesting ride. Man, I tell you what. Man, I want to run through a wall now. We haven't experienced a postseason in six years. Hopefully this year is going to break the drought. It's high time. I mean, it's high time. We, we've waited long enough. And uh, uh, Lafayette is it's Lafayette is its best when Cajuns baseball and Cajuns softball are at its best because I mean, there's a certain buzz that happens here like no other. You know, you you sit five, six, seven thousand people outside of a baseball game for a regional and a super regional. I mean, that doesn't happen in many G5 programs. You had, yeah. you had Coastal Carolina go win a national championship. They can't get 700 people to their games. It's ridiculous. Nick, since you okay, I have to ask before we sign off. Nick, you were the PA guy for the the regional and super regional in 2014 and 2016. Correct. Talk talk a little bit about 
your experience on that end? Because as Josh and I as fans, we got to experience the tailgate. We got to experience the camaraderie. But for you, you were like an official guy, like a media guy that, you know, you had to go to all the games and you had to kind of work. But what was it like from your perspective, especially the fact that, you know, your brother is a coach on the team? What were emotions like for you, man, since you've been around this program so long and you got to work the games as the PA? I don't know if you can see it. I'm getting chills talking about it. Um, amazing experience, man. There's nothing like going home after one of those games and watching the the replay. And if you if you might remember, I think it was the first game. It was it was Ole Miss, and it was raining, and they cut into our game, but not on ESPN two. We were on the mothership, and I get I get home and I hear my voice on ESPN in the background. And at one point, that's all you hear. Dude, it, it's an amazing experience. Like, really, you. I, I just remember I, I appreciated every single moment of that entire experience. I took it all in, and especially, I know I was. I, I think I told you this. I, I was I was upset at the 2014 team because we were so close to Omaha, and I wanted to go back so bad, and I really wanted that for Roe because I feel like he deserved it and he earned it and that team earned it. But the Arizona regional hit me even harder when they beat us because I felt like that was just a team that could, couldn't, wasn't as maybe as, as touted as, as the 2014 team was, but they could still make some noise and they had a legitimate shot of, of, of going to Omaha. Um, So I, I really just took in every moment and tried to, to just keep every memory I have of, of everyone I met, the fans that I met, the stupid Mississippi state fans that stood up and started saying SEC. And then we, we score like six runs and started screaming SBC back at them. It's just stuff like that, that, I, that I'll, I'll, think back and and look at and realize how lucky I was to be one of eight people in the entire country doing that job that day, that weekend. Um, It's something, man. It's really, it's, it's something you really can't put into words, but I will undoubtedly remember for the rest of my life. And like I said, things that seem insignificant are the things that really stick with me. I took it all in and I do it all over again. I remember I feel the exact same way. I was perfectly yeah. said as much as I was upset when that finished in 14, especially man, I could tell you every moment. I could tell you the smells, how it felt, the temperature outside, it, everything. Yeah. I will never I forget any of it. It was like a football tailgate. And Nick, before we go, I wanted to say one more thing. I remember when you went on after the last out, when Ole Miss beat us in that third game, and you said, hey, Cajun, everybody, how, what a great season, Cajun Nation, you know, or something like that. And the entire stadium stood up and applauded the team. In spite of such a heartbreaking loss, seeing yep. how how the, the crowd reacted even after that final out was, was something I'll never forget. It was. Good times. Hopefully more good times ahead. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. At Raisin Review, all social media platforms. Follow us for more fun. We'll see you next week.